Hey, tennis fans, and welcome to another edition of Matchpoint Canada. I'm Ben Lewis, joined alongside Mike McIntyre. Remember, you can follow us on Twitter at MatchpointCan. You can find me at Ben Lewis SN590, and you can find Mike at McIntyre Tennis. Well, we have officially wrapped up our Grand Slam tennis season for 2019, and we witnessed history. Bianca Andreescu became the first Canadian ever to win a Grand Slam singles title. And joining us, she was at Flushing Meadows to witness the history is Sportsnet's Carolyn Cameron. Carolyn, thanks uh, so much for coming on the program with us. Of course. Thanks for having me. Well, we really appreciate it. Uh, I'll, I'll just start by asking this. How did a 19-year-old from Mississauga do this? <laughs> well, that's a loaded question. Uh, that's a great question. It's just, I mean, that's what makes this so surreal. It's one thing to win a Grand Slam. It's another to win the U.S. Open against Serena Williams, arguably the greatest of all time in her country, and to do it in straight sets. It was it was just incredible. The thing the thing that gets me, and you two know this too, just just from covering and knowing Bianca professionally, is that she believed that she was supposed to be there. She said after the semifinal, she said, I deserve to be in this final. And she was right. She's always been confident but not cocky. And the way she won it and the way she did it is the same way she's been winning all season long. And that's, it's not just what she has on court and the power of her return, which I'm sure we'll get into, but we saw that against Serena. But it's, it's what's between the ears. It's that fight. It's that even though she had championship point at five, one and Serena came back to make it five all, she still took it in two sets as the Arthur Ashe crowd was causing her to plug her ears. It's, it's, cliche but it's really just the full package that got her there we've been using this term this year uh, quite liberally golden age of canadian tennis and and maybe a little bit prematurely up until this moment i mean aside from bianca being the anchor up to this point in terms of results you know felix and dennis had their semi-final uh, during the sunshine double Braden schner had his unexpected run to the new york finals gabby dabrowski and doubles at the wimbledon finals too But does it seem now like we've sealed the deal as a tennis nation? Can we really now truly earn the right to say golden age of Canadian tennis because of this win? I think it's just so relative. I think that we haven't been incorrectly using that term, but I have a feeling that we'll use that phrase as the years go on. Because really, if you look at this and Bianca just being 19 and and Felix and Dennis and her age group, this is really just the start. And that's what, what was a good reminder, even at the Rogers Cup. I don't know if you guys found it this year, but sure in past years we've have had Canadian storylines on maybe the first couple of days with Jeannie and Milos and, and Vashik in recent years. But this year especially, there were so many good, solid Canadian storylines and hopes of them to go into deep into a tournament and deep into our home tournament. So I really think that this is really just the start of that, of that golden age of Canadian tennis, because they're so young, they're so talented, Bianca and Felix, especially for their age, they're at the top of the sport. I'm kind of interested to see now where things go in terms of popularity of, uh, of tennis in Canada, given this big victory. Tell me, Carolyn, did your phone explode afterwards? And what was the mix between tennis fans and friends of yours versus people you were kind of surprised to hear from? <laughs> that's a good question. Because I think, I think for all of us in the business, that's when you know if something's really big is if it's people in your life or texting you who really don't pay attention to sport or 
in this case, tennis. And that was honestly, a lot of the messages were just people saying, oh my gosh, I was watching and my parents, they'd never watched (laughs) tennis before and they love Bianca and it's amazing and yada, yada, yada. And even today, just since I got home from New York and walking around Toronto, so many people are talking about it. And it was at the grocery store and the bank and everyone's just talking about Bianca. And then you see it in the newspapers, I think. For all of us who have who've loved and covered this sport, it's just it's kind of fun to see these new tennis fans come along. And this is what it takes. I mean, this is what it takes for the rise in popularity of any sport. Look at what Vince Carter did to basketball in Canada and Steve Nash. But Vince Carter in the GTA areas, we see so many young Canadians now in the NBA who grew up in the GTA and the Vince era. Um it's interesting, too. It made me think back to even the Wimbledon final of Milos Raonic, and that was only three years ago in 2016. But already the stats were coming out by then about the rise in popularity in sports, and in tennis, rather, and kids playing tennis from 2010, a year before Milos's breakthrough, through Jeannie Bouchard's Wimbledon final, and then up until Milos Raonic's 2016 final. So you can only imagine how many young girls and boys we're watching from home and might now pick up a racket. And adults. I encourage adults, too. It's never too late. Yeah, it uh, certainly never <laughs> is too late. Uh, I could tell you, yeah, it was it was all the talk uh, at the local public courts uh, this weekend when I uh, went out and oh, hit as awesome. well, uh, which was, was fantastic. Uh, you made a point earlier, and this is kind of my description, actually, the other week when someone asked about Bianca Andreescu, uh, that she's sort of confident but but not arrogant. And uh, mm-hmm. the U.S. Open semifinalist from 1984, Carling Bassett Seguso, pointed out sort of throughout this tournament that that she was zoning, that uh, she was completely in the zone. And then kind of post-victory, it, it's like she's waking up from from a g- dream. Is, is it almost that, like, Bianca doesn't quite realize how good she is? I think she knows how good she is, but I don't think she really understands completely what's happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's kind of two different things. Even after the semifinal, when I was talking to her, I just off camera, I said, how are you doing? Have you, have you processed this? And she said, not, not really. It's just kind of, I don't know. I'm just, no, it's just kind of happening. And, you know, and that's not to say that she's, I mean, she's putting in the work and the focus and the mental, the mental power to do it, but that doesn't mean she's processed it yet. And I think for Bianca and maybe it is the fact that she's 19 years old, it's a kind of don't think, just do, just keep doing what you're doing. And that's where I think almost in matches, where she really zones in is in the moments when she's down. I mean, no one wants to get down or she said she wants to work on court about not being too emotional negatively, but she seems to play her best when she's a little bit frustrated, not necessarily frustrated by her opponent, but frustrated by herself. It's when she makes those, those tweaks and adjustments that we really, we really see the strength of Bianca's game and and mental game shine through. And uh, I know you got a chance to catch up with uh, with head coach Sylvain Bruno a- a- as mm-hmm. well, um, who has obviously you know been the, an enormous part of this. W- what type of role did did he play in keeping maybe Bianca sort of grounded throughout not not only just uh, this tournament but really throughout the entire year when she's been kind of you know ratcheting up achievement after achievement. Yeah, well, and I think that's the thing sometimes it's easy to forget is what made this win so impressive, if you just think of it in the grand scheme of Canadian sport history, is that it's a 19-year-old out there by herself on the court and she got it done. But it really is it really is a team effort. And Bianca and Sylvain are very close and they've known each other for many years. Sylvain's worked 
with Tennis Canada since 88, so 12 years before Bianca was even born. But he's known her since her early teens. He's been a really good, good sounding board for her. And I think just he's really helped her. I mean, think back to the Indian Wells final. And that's when we saw him come out and talk to her. And she said, I want this so bad. And he was encouraging her. And that's what he's continued to do. And it's, and it's even interesting, too, is at Rogers Cup, she didn't call on Sylvain once during the match for on-court coaching. And that's not because she didn't want his advice, but she was preparing for the slam where she knew, listen, I can't, I can't have Sylvain in my ear at all times. Um, he's been big, and her parents have been big, too. I think one of the hardest things this year, and, and people don't really think of 2019 as, having any hardships for Bianca, but she struggled after Indian Wells when she was dealing with that shoulder injury. They couldn't figure out really what was going on. They struggled to find people who could help them find answers. And as her mom told me before Rogers Cup, that was tough because she was either sitting on the couch or, I mean, she could go to the gym and do lower body work or cardio, but she didn't have a tennis racket in her hand. And so I think that's really where Sylvain and the team and the things that we don't see or hear where they really shine through and, and help her. And I think, I think that time off where her body just wasn't in her favor. I know time is relative as is perspective, but in Bianca's life and career, I think that was an important time to get perspective. Yeah, it's funny. Right before the Rogers Cup, Ben and I were kind of assessing how far we think she could go, what would be a successful Rogers Cup for her. And really, we just wanted her to emerge healthy and, and maybe, yeah. you know, at best win a round or two. So then she gets to the final against Serena. And just to go back to that for a moment, I mean, that was obviously a a letdown from any of the fans in attendance because there was so much hype around that match and we only got 19 minutes. I mean, watching this one, when we hit the 20-minute mark, I kind of gave a little cheer because I'm like, all right, we've gone past that now. Uh, But but I just want to talk about the fact she got it done against Serena. Does it add something extra special that she was able to get her first slam while defeating a 23-time major champion? Oh, absolutely. That's just what puts this over the edge. And the thing, too, was it was also facing a Serena who had been playing some of her best tennis and been moving the best that she has since she's returned from her mat leave. And since she won her last slam at the Australian Open in 2017, Serena, she she said post-match that she played her worst match of the tournament in the final, and I believe her. I think she's right. People didn't like that comment too much. People didn't like to hear that. But the thing is, is... She also played her worst because of what Bianca was doing. Mm-hmm. I didn't see that as Serena coming up with an excuse. I think she was being pretty honest. And I think it was those quotes were taken a little bit out of context because throughout the press conference, she also commented on how Bianca deserved this championship and she won it fair and square. But being there in person especially, I mean, in the first game, Bianca broke Serena. And that was the matchup we were looking at was Serena, arguably the greatest server of all time in the women's game against the best returner on tour right now in Bianca and Bianca just put so much pressure on her. And as she said, post-match, she intimidated Serena, she thinks with the way she played and, and she did. So to be able to do it, not just against Serena, but given that Serena was going for number 24, given that the entire crowd was around her and given it was on that stage in Arthur Ashe, where the crowd is louder than anywhere else in the world, it's just, it's incredible that she got through and won it in straight sets. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable. And I, I think you're right about about the pressure. Serena hadn't faced anything like that uh, throughout the 
you know, her other matches in the tournament, Bianca no. was completely dialed in on return and sort of putting yeah. her on her back foot uh, so immediately with uh, that huge return game, which we really witnessed for, for the full two weeks for for Bianca. I've had a few people ask me this question and I try I try to, you know, kind of brush it off and say, you know, savor this moment. She just won the U.S. Open. But I have had a few people ask me, <laughs> like, is this going to be, is she going to be a flash in the pan? Like, is she the real deal? Like, or did she, you know, did, did this just kind of happen? Um, what what makes you probably as as convinced as me that this is by no means a flash in the pan and she's, she's going to be a mainstay uh, on the tour for years to come? Yeah, and there's two parts to this answer, too. Is The first one is she is not just a flash in the pan. It's not just that she's been winning this year. It's been how she's been winning. And we know the stats, 8-0 against top 10 players. It's not that she's just meeting them on their off days. That's way too coincidental. It's the fact that she's beating them in different ways. It's the variety in her game. It's the power from the baseline. It's the slice. It's the drop shot. It's her return, as we've mentioned. And then it's kind of that fighting spirit and how she never ever quite seems out of a match. Now, the other part to this answer is that even though I think, I mean, she's already fifth in the world, she's not far off from number one in the world, is, as everyone knows in tennis, and especially the women's game right now, it's wide open and different people can win on any day or any week or any tournament of the year, is just because she's had this incredible rise does not mean that she's going to be winning tournament after tournament after tournament after tournament because that's just not how it works Mm -hmm. for anyone it doesn't matter how good you are but she I think she's she's definitely going to stay at or near the top and the biggest question now is is she's she's passed every test that she's faced in 2019 but the test now is I mean she's a star everyone knows who she is it's going to be interesting to see just her welcome back to Canada and, and how she's greeted I mean She's a multimillionaire now, and she's a star, and everyone knows who she is. She's on The Tonight Show. I mean, she's on Good Morning America. So it's just going to now be adjusting to all that attention. How is she going to deal with it? I have no idea. I don't know how, how anyone would deal with it at the age of 19. But just, again, knowing her, I think she's got a good base. I think she's she's pretty grounded and and. She's there for the tennis, and she just wants to be a really good tennis player, first and foremost. Carolyn, growing up, uh, you know, first and foremost, as you say, as a a Canadian tennis fan yourself, uh, we've talked to you before about being a ball kid at the Rogers Cup, working your way, (laughs) you know, as the leader of the ball crew, and now into your current role as a respected voice in, in sports media, and certainly with tennis in particular. What was it like not having a legit singles threat when you were younger as a kid, as a teenager, that was Canadian? And how does this resonate with you now as an adult to see someone like Bianca break through and get that first ever single slam for our country? I think it's just that idea of seeing is believing. And as a kid, I mean, the same goes probably for you guys. When you're watching on TV, you look up to, to the people that you see and you don't necessarily think that that could ever be you because it's not, it's not one of your own. It's not someone from your, who's next door just down the street or someone who you went to school with. So I think, I think that's what really gets me with this. And again, you two understand as well, as someone who just loves the sport and how it's been a big part of my life, is, it's just amazing to think now that in Canada, it has all the attention and respect that it deserves, not just in this country, 
but internationally as well. And as I said, we won't know for many years, but imagine what the impact could be of, of this. Imagine how many young girls and boys were watching and they think, gee, I not only could that be me, but I could actually, I could not just dream it. I could make it happen because Bianca did. That's what she said. And that's what she did. And she'll hopefully continue to do so. I uh, just want to say as we wrap up with you that uh, when I saw your tweet that you were heading to New York for the, uh, the, the la- you know, the weekend, the last two days, very happy, first of all, because we knew we'd be getting some great coverage, but also just happy for you knowing that someone who's a true tennis fan was going to be going, who would appreciate that moment. And it was great to watch you interviewing Bianca afterwards and seeing the, not just the smile on her face, but the smile on yours too, <laughs> while you were maintaining that professional aspect, but still you could tell that it meant something to you as well. So just want to say uh, job well done. And uh, we're very happy to have you back on with us. There's no one we'd rather talk to you to recap this important moment uh, here with us on the podcast. Thanks for uh, dropping oh, by. Thanks. I really appreciate that. And I think it's just a reminder for all of us is that we work in sports and they're supposed to be fun. So when <laughs> fun and, and good things happen, we might as well enjoy it. Absolutely. Thanks a lot, Carolyn. Thanks, guys. Thank you. And as we uh, continue on our Matchpoint Canada episode, uh, we're very excited to welcome another guest to the program, former professional tennis player from Blainville, Quebec. She was the winner of the Bank of West Classic back in 2008. She's also now a member of the Rogers Cup Hall of Fame. Uh, Alexandra Wozniak joining us on the line. And Alexandra, I I mean, you've had so many fantastic accomplishments in in your tennis career. But did you ever imagine you would see the day where we had a, a Canadian winning a Grand Slam singles title? Uh, it's awesome. I mean, uh, finally a woman wins a Grand Slam, and uh, it's really exciting. I mean, you never knew when that would happen or if it would happen throughout all these years, and uh, the time has come, so it's really exciting that Bianca won at the U.S. Open. When did Bianca first come on your radar as someone that could be, I don't want to say a Grand Slam champion because who knew, but at what point did you think, hey, Tennis Canada and Canadian tennis fans might have something kind of special here? I remember Bianca, we were practicing a couple times at the French Open and at uh, another Challenger smaller event in Granby. That that was in back in 2016, I believe, or 2017. And uh, I saw how... She was really focused. She, she had that determination in her eyes, that which I found that I didn't see in a Canadian girl for a long time. So I knew, uh, like she has some, she had something different compared to the other young uh, Canadian players that I was practicing with. So it's really exciting uh, to see uh, that she accomplished this big dream of hers, winning a Grand Slam. <laughs> And, uh, you know, Canada has never really uh, been thought of as a tennis nation, but but here we are in 2019. We have now a U.S. Open champion in Bianca Andreescu. We have other fantastic names uh, on our men's side in terms of Felix Ojealiasim, Denis Shapovalov, uh, and then veterans like Milos Raonic and Jeannie Bouchard as well. Was there someone when you were sort of growing up that, that really inspired you to to kind of compete hard in tennis and see if you could make a professional career a, a reality? Because really at the time that, that you sort of broke through, uh, yeah, Canada wasn't really known as that tennis nation. I know. I mean, you know, women, Canadian tennis, I mean, came such a long way because when I was starting up, I mean, 
I started playing tennis at the age of three. It was my sister that inspired me to play because she was a national champion. And then I dreamed to play professional tennis and be on the big center courts like Monica Seles, who was my idol. So growing up, I didn't really have a Canadian to look up to. And then when I reached to be, I was the only woman from Canada, from Quebec, to be in the top 50 ranked in the world for many years on the WTA tour. So back then there wasn't many Canadian girls or none. And um, like and on the men's tour, I mean, on the men's side, I don't remember who there was, but I mean, for sure, it's really exciting to see how many guys now are from playing from Canada and women too on the tour. So it came really a long way. I'm, I'm guessing if you're like us, you probably had your phone explode a little bit after that victory from friends, family, and and people just wanting to get your reaction to this big moment. Uh, what impact do you think Bianca's victory could have on tennis and its popularity and, and growth in our country? Uh, it's really what I saw the most is how more more people now were exciting to watch tennis. Like, they were becoming more new fans. So I find, like, uh, tennis picked that up more here in Canada because of her big win, the Grand Slam, and it looks like the it's becoming more popular tennis across Canada. So... That's one of the big things now that's going to change and it's going to be more popular tennis. And, you know, throughout the years, it was always hockey. So it's nice to see the growth and the fan base. It's growing. Obviously, uh, Bianca Andreescu, she's still just 19 years old and, and her life is, is really going to change dramatically from this point when you, when you have such a great achievement. I know you, you probably experienced uh, maybe something similar uh, years ago when, when you won your, your first WTA singles title at Stanford at the Bank of, of West Classic and, and you were the first Canadian in 20 years to do so. Uh, what should maybe Bianca prepare for uh, in, in terms of her life changing when when you get such a big win like that and how did you adjust uh maybe back then after you you won that big title yeah I, there's i'm sure she already feels that there's going to be so many people coming to you there's going to be i think a lot of distractions people going to want to work with you and you just got to remember that what helped you reach and get you to have that success is those people that were there with you from the very beginning so to not not take that for granted, for sure there's going to be a lot of people coming and, oh, I can help you even win more Grand Slams or more tournaments. But it's going to be how to deal with those distractions and to be careful, you know, after in your entourage, who's going to be those people that can support you for the right, uh, for the right reasons and also to keep uh, maintain your focus throughout because it's a – Tennis career is a long journey. There's going to be ups and downs. So for sure, there's going to be a lot of things to be able for her to continue dealing well. But I see her parents really support her well. So that's that's really nice to see that she has that support from her parents. Yeah, she she certainly does, and and what a stage to do it uh, in the finals at, at Arthur Ashe Stadium, playing uh, the the great Serena Williams, who is looking to tie Margaret Court's record of twenty four Grand Slam titles. I, I know you in your career had the opportunity to to face S- Serena Williams. What is it like playing uh, a Williams sister? You, you see that intensity on the other side of the court, and how do you kind of block it out and really focus on your own game? How difficult is that? Yeah, it's, they're incredible athletes, Venus and Serena. I mean, they're, they've won so many Grand Slams, and they've paved their way, and they changed the sport so much physically and mentally, and the intensity has changed so much from, like, 15 years ago how tennis was. And 
Um, it's how you prepare, how you block everything, just thinking about your game, your strategy, and what to do when you compete against them on the other side of the tennis court because you can get carried away by many different things, thinking, oh, my goodness, I'm playing Serena or Venus. You know, they were a former number one in the world. Like There's so many thoughts coming through your mind, so you always have to remember, you know, and focus on your things <laughs> because it's a, it's a competition for sure. Makes her victory even that much more impressive, maybe doing it against perhaps the greatest of all time. Pardon me? Makes her, her victory over Serena even that much more impressive that she had to do it oh, to get yes, her first Grand for Slam. Sure. Oh, yes. It's a, it's a big victory, that's for sure, when you're able to win against such a champion. Well, Alexandra, just wanted to say uh, merci beaucoup for uh, joining us on the uh, podcast. It's been really great talking with someone who helped increase the visibility of tennis in Canada and talk to us about this uh, monumental moment in the Canadian tennis landscape. Thank you so much for having me, and it's been my pleasure. <laughs> there you have it, Alexandra Wozniak, former uh, professional tennis player, and uh, this summer was... Uh, elected to the Rogers Cup Hall of Fame. She had a fantastic career in her own right uh, and won the Bank of West Classic in Stanford in 2008 at the time. was an enormous uh, Canadian singles title, and uh, it's just incredible putting it in, pers- in perspective now what uh, the achievements we're seeing from Bianca Andreescu uh, uh, winning a Grand Slam. An interesting parallel uh, that I see actually with Wozniacki, or Wozniak, pardon me, uh, is... She actually, her parents immigrated from from Poland to Canada in 1983 before she was born. And and then suddenly she was picking up a tennis racket at such a young age. And, uh, you know, we had Bianca Andreescu, her parents immigrating from Romania uh, before she was born. She's born in Mississauga, suddenly at a young age, picking up a tennis racket. And then uh, you produce two fantastic talents. Uh, So both kind of interesting storylines and uh you know, the sky's the limit at this point for Bianca Andreescu. I, I think it's so crucial uh, that, as Carolyn Cameron's alluded to, that she has that great base around her because her life really is going to change. Yeah, and she's shown this year that those people have been so instrumental in helping her along the way. I mean, at the start of the season in Auckland, and it really speaks to her ranking where she was coming from, she couldn't afford to have the entire coaching staff there. Her parents wanted to obviously save their money throughout the year to pick their moments. They didn't head over to Auckland either. She was there with uh, Virginie Tremblay, who works for Tennis Canada as a strength and conditioning coach, and she was sort of acting as her pseudo-coach there. And then as the season went on, obviously seeing Sylvain Bruno with that incredible pep talk, for her at Indian Wells, mm-hmm. and then just how they all came together and helped her as well this summer to return after that injury, which must have been, you know, in her mind, how is the shoulder going to respond? And so it really does seem like a wonderful team effort. It's a wonderful uh, Tennis Canada story. Not every player who's Canadian has necessarily been part of that program, but as Bianca thanked Tennis Canada quite uh, profusely in the aftermath of her victory, obviously the program worked for her. And it's just such an inspiring, inspiring story that we're already starting to see sort of the benefits, uh, small scale, large scale. But I mean, my own son the next day was like, Dad, I want to watch the highlights on TV. (laughs) When can we go hit some tennis balls? And from what I've been seeing just driving around my neighborhood and seeing from people also on Twitter is that the public court's very busy in the next day or two after that epic victory. People want to go out and pick up the racket and go and have fun and pretend they're winning the U.S. Open too like Bianca did. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, I think I saw a tweet from uh, uh, Christina 
Borojevic is an account, a tennis account on Twitter, and, and I believe she lives in Oakville. And she had a tweet uh, the other day that she drove by her uh, public courts in Oakville, which she described as normally empty or seeing one or two people. And she said all five courts were completely packed and there was a line of a bunch of people waiting oh, to great. play tennis. Now, now I got to deal with a lineup when I go. <laughs> That's okay. That's a good problem to have that sure. uh, too many people want to play tennis. Uh, Bianca Andreescu really, truly has kind of uh, inspired a nation uh, with this historic moment as the first uh, Grand Slam singles winner in our country's history. You are listening to Matchpoint Canada. I'm Ben Lewis. He's Mike McIntyre. You can find us on Twitter at Matchpoint Can. Find me at Ben Lewis SN590. Find Mike at McIntyre Tennis. Find us on SoundCloud or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll continue with just a little bit more on the women's draw because should be noted, Serena Williams now has been to four finals over the past six Grand Slams. But uh, for the first time in her career, she is 0 for her last four how do we maybe evaluate her tournament and, you know, what is maybe missing from her game in terms of elements to get that 24th slam to tie Margaret Court's record? Yeah, if it was anyone but Serena Williams, I think, and you told them they could have four Grand Slam finals out of their last six appearances, <laughs> they'd say, yeah, where do I sign up for that? Mm. But because it's Serena Williams and because she's so close to beating this record that... To be honest, the record doesn't mean much to me because of the era and the differences in competition. So Serena's already stands out in my mind. But for her, that's not going to be enough. Obviously, she'd love to tie it and then break it. Uh, You know, Billie Jean King herself said, wouldn't it be great if Serena could win at the U.S. Open to tie it and then potentially beat the record in Australia of all places where, um, you know, Margaret Court comes from? That's not going to happen now. And what, what I saw on the positive side from Serena at the U.S. Open was she looked as fierce and her movement looked as incredible as I've seen it since she's come back from uh, giving birth. Mm-hmm. So you know, that victory against Svitolina in the semifinals, I thought, oh my goodness, look out. She's really starting to peak here. And, and if she continues playing like this, but Bianca, and as Carolyn Cameron said earlier, the way that Bianca plays and how high her level of game was It forced Serena to go for too much on those first serves. I think that is a a big uh, reason responsible for why we we think maybe Serena didn't seem to be playing necessarily at her best, but you got to look at who's on the other side of the net and what they're bringing to the table. And Bianca obviously did that better than anyone else during this tournament. So Serena's still a huge threat for Grand Slams, and anyone who says otherwise is, is not making an educated comment. That being said, the window is closing as she gets older, And we'll have to wait now for 2020 to see what she can do at the Grand Slam level. Yeah, and I imagine she keeps her schedule probably fairly light towards the tail end of this season and and try and use maybe an extended training block over the fall months to to really gear up for the Australian Open. She said in her press post-match press conference that the real Serena didn't show up, but I really do be, think Bianca Andreescu and her game and how uh, she employed it was, was a big result of that because you saw some of the results. Uh, you mentioned Serena against Svitolina. That was 6-3, 6-1. Wang Xiang, who is a solid player from China, uh, a tough kind of grinder. She beat her 6-1, 6-11, 44 minutes. We saw what happened in the first round with Maria Sharapova. So you could arguably say, yeah, this is probably the best tennis we have seen from Serena uh, post birth so uh, that is probably something to build off for her a couple other notable results of just players I was kind of impressed with for the past couple of weeks Elise Mertens had that set off of Bianca Andreescu took the first 6-3 and had Bianca in a world of trouble 
finishes with a quarterfinals result and then goes on to win the doubles title with Arena Sabalenka. She, to me, was very, very impressive. And uh, probably, I, I think a player who can make strides maybe to the top 10. Yeah, Mertens was one of those ones that impressed me as well. And, and she took advantage in the draw. And then uh, Belinda Bencic also pushed Bianca in both the first and second set of her match, ultimately falling in straights. But I thought she put up at times a very good fight against Bianca and what a season she's had as well to reestablish herself as a top 10 player and only being what 22 years old, there's still so much time ahead for her. It's amazing to think of how many years ago it was that she won the Rogers cup as just an 18 year old. Mm -hmm. And she's still so young. Uh, Another player and one that uh, probably hadn't been on my radar and many people's radars, Taylor Townsend. So impressed with her game, just a different style of game. Love seeing someone coming to the net. And she did that with so much regularity in her matches. I mean, who comes to the net over a hundred times in a best of three match. Yeah, incredible, and that that's really what led her to that uh, huge monumental upset over Simona Halep, uh, which I, I don't really want to say opened up the draw for Bianca Andreescu because she really did seem like she was ready to beat absolutely anybody, uh, but then it led to uh, Bianca's showdown with Taylor Townsend in the round of 16. So great result for the American. She'll look to build off of that. We got to get to the men's side, of course. It, it was Bianca Andreescu winning her first slam at the age of 19, On the other side of the equation, it was 33-year-old Rafael Nadal winning Grand Slam number 19, which is just uh, so unbelievable. That puts him just one behind Roger Federer for the all-time record. And what a final it was. Thrilling five-set epic defeating Daniil Medvedev. 7-5, 6-3, 5-7, 4-6, 6-4. Took about four hours, 50 minutes. Uh, what a final and what a treat really uh, in the perspective of Medvedev in his fight in this match because if you saw the first probably hour and a half you thought this was a comfortable three set win for Nadal. Nadal did not take the easy route that's for sure and anyone <laughs> no. who counts themselves as a fan of Rafa must have uh, probably uh, you know aged by I don't know how many years watching that one. I made the mistake I had to PVR that one so I watched the Bianca match mm-hmm. live. I had to PVR the, the Rafa one but I made the mistake of not extending the recording far enough wow i went one program beyond the allotted time but i should have gone two yep so when i got home from my prior commitment i'm kind of watching first set second set okay then i start zipping through the third until oh wait a minute medvedev's broken Mm -hmm. fourth set and then i realized oh my god i didn't leave enough tape (laughs) so i figure by that point okay the match must be over i go to the u.s open website to see what the final score was and there's no recap and i'm thinking well that's odd why haven't they posted yet it's because the match is still going. So I did get to finish it in the fifth set. So I was happy about that at the very least. But uh, despite Rafa being up a break in that fifth set, boy, did Medvedev make it close at the finish line. Yeah, yeah, unbelievably dramatic. Nadal sort of got a handle again. He was up 5-2 in the fifth set. Medvedev gets another break back. He's serving 5-4. Nadal had to save uh, a break point serving 5-4. And of course, you finally see him collapse when he finally converts on a, on a third championship point. Uh, and such an emotional moment for Rafa post, uh, post-final sitting in his chair. Uh, the U.S. Open uh, played this trip video running down all of his grand slams one through 19 and finally we saw you know really raw emotion from nadal in tears uh, you can see how much this fourth u.s open crown meant to him yeah it's incredible you'd think after all those major championships that it would at some point sort of you'd become like numb to it but it was as emotional as i've ever seen him mm-hmm. uh and and to me 
just his adaptability during his career, the fact that he went from someone initially that was just labeled as a clay court threat and a clay court specialist to then have his, you know, moments of adapting on grass and hard courts as well. He's done it all. He's one slam behind Roger Federer. He may very well in the coming year pass him and, you know, reignite the uh, the GOAT debate, which I personally am not a huge fan of that. I can <laughs> wait until they all retire, and even then we'll never be able to solve it. Sure. I can just admit that we're in the presence of three phenomenal players between the two of them and, and Novak Djokovic. But it was really cool to see him in the chair just be, you know, brought to tears over his accomplishments. And, and not just all the wins, but as he's watching that, he's probably also thinking of all the hardships and the moments where he couldn't compete or couldn't compete at his best. So it's quite remarkable that he's been able to amass those 19 slams. On the other side of things, when Daniil Medvedev was having his uh, talk at the end of the match, boy, does his sense of humor really work for me. And he was saying, gosh, if I had won, what kind of video montage would you have done for me, right? <laughs> yeah, he was he was really fantastic through this tournament. I mean, the crowd had turned on him in his third-round match where he had kind of yanked a towel rudely away from a ball boy at one point, uh, you know, gave the crowd the wrong finger in the air and sort of <laughs> gave them a sarcastic uh, post-match speech saying, your energy allowed me to win this match while he was getting rained on by booze. And then he becomes this completely lovable, lovable figure by the end of the tournament and by the end of the final uh i think fans adored his fight to get back in this match they wanted to see more tennis i I think maybe it would have been a little dull if it was a very comfortable easy three-set win from nadal Uh, but medvedev scrapped and fought back he hit all these fantastic shots the fourth set oh my goodness that that set point winner that he hit at at five six on nadal served this backhand down the line he he really produced some tremendous tennis and an incredible summer uh you, you look at what he did this summer city open finals the finals in montreal winning in cincinnati and and beating djokovic on the way and then you get to the u.s open final i really think this is one of the faces for sure uh maybe when the big three is summoned out or even while they're still here to to really challenge and push for grand slams it was one of the great uh summer hardcourt swings from a player that that i've i've seen despite Mm -hmm. the fact that he only won one of those tournaments he was just lethal otherwise and and big wins i mean the djokovic win obviously and in since he stands out to me and he's you know 23 years old i think obviously after the big three And I think they're still going to be top threats, clearly, in 2020. But Medvedev, you know, Dominic team, those two, to me, have kind of shown that they're ready to to push a little bit. And this five-set final from Medvedev is really the the greatest next-gen, you know, accomplishment in a slam that, that I can think of. And it was so cool to see him transform, as you mentioned, from like villain, although I didn't really think he was a villain, but Mm -hmm. sort of pseudo villain to being absolutely embraced by the New York crowd. And that should give other players who have been potentially, you know, not embraced the, the, the belief that, Hey, it can happen. And when he said at the end of the match, you guys can see uh, that I can also change because I'm a human being. I can make mistakes. And again, thank you very much from the bottom of my heart. I mean, this guy just knew exactly how to play them to bring him over to his side. And and I think that New York crowd is going to remember that moving forward when he comes back to Flushing Meadows. Oh, certainly. And that was one of the most electric atmospheres I can recall watching uh, during a final. Uh, you had these Rafa chants. You had Medvedev chants when they were chants when they were kind of willing him back in the match. It, it had a bit of everything with, uh, you know, time violations and, and Nadal being docked a few serves at certain points. Uh, just fantastic theater. And for Rafael Nadal. 
well. Uh, another fantastic result. Uh, Grand Slam title number 19. Earlier than usual exits from Novak Djokovic and Roger Federer uh, as they were kind of undone by their health. Uh, so we'll see what is in store for the remainder of 2019 for those two. Yeah, I mean, what are you most concerned about? To me, I don't have concerns about Novak because he's been so darn good and he's got a nice, healthy, uh, you know, cushion in the rankings too. I think Roger, you know, you want to maintain your ranking as high as you possibly can between now and the end of the year to help you for for Australia and you want to and you want to stay healthy, mm-hmm. right? He's uh, 38 years old now. He's not getting any younger. So him out of the three, uh, just by virtue of his age, I think you want to be very careful. Um, but it'll be interesting to see what kind of schedule they play. Uh, Laver Cup coming up, obviously that's a big one for for Roger that he's kind of put together, and uh, and we'll see about that. But uh, but outside of that, he also plays really well this time of year. The indoor hardcourt, uh, you know, carpet season has always been kind to him as well. Yes, yes, it uh, certainly has. Uh, a couple nice tournaments from Canadians as well. We talked uh, on, on the last week's episode about Denis Shapovalov making some headway, kind of played a third-round classic, really, with Guy Monfils, and uh, it was Denis who beat Felix Auger-Aliassime in a first-round match, and Vashik Pospisil had a, an excellent result as well, uh, knocking off Karen Hatchinoff in, in that first round. Yeah, on the men's side, I mean, those are the two Canadian names uh, that really stand out to me. Shapo really proven that, yeah, he belongs in the top 20 in the game if he can play that way and and sustain that kind of high level and Vashik Pospisil must be so encouraged by that that first round uh, win as he looks to get back into the top 100 which you know may not happen this year but I think for 2020 is a very realistic goal and then on the women's side Gabby Dabrowski of course we have to mention didn't go as far as she would have liked didn't go as far as she did at Wimbledon mm-hmm. but quarterfinal results in women's doubles and mixed doubles as well and she's going to be a perennial uh, contender in both of those events at the Grand Slams uh, with her partner uh, Julie uh, Zhu and uh, Matej Pavic as well. And now as we uh, wrap the episode and sort of look back on 19-year-old from Mississauga, Bianca Andreescu's historic win for Canada. Mike, I know you were at a viewing party and had a chance to speak with a couple of fans and a couple of uh, people in the tennis industry who were able to uh, experience this moment. Yeah, it was really cool for Tennis Canada to put on both in Montreal and in Toronto, these viewing parties, and to be surrounded by literally hundreds of rabid Canadian tennis fans, despite the fact we're watching a match where the crowd is so incredibly against Bianca I was watching from an environment where it just seemed like it was uh, absolute total pro Canadiana and I had the opportunity to talk with a few people I talked with uh, fans like Neil Jane who we're going to hear from I talked with Rogers Cup volunteers like Barbara Chizovsky and I spoke with Ryan uh, Borkson who is the uh, tournament director actually at the Tevlin Challenger which Bianca has played in the past but clearly will not be playing at moving forward And uh, I want to thank all the other people that spoke with me as well. So much passion, such a great moment. Some people were literally on the verge of tears, being so emotionally overwhelmed by what it meant. So I think it'd be cool to take a moment, listen to what some of them had to say about this epic moment in Canadian sports history. Uh, Going into the match, I thought it was 50-50. It was really hard to call because champion versus challenger. Um, But uh, she just played amazing and it just, uh, yeah, it means a lot to to Canada and for us to have a first Grand Slam champion, it's uh, it's just incredible. She just did amazing. And I mean, if you're like me growing up, there was no Canadian singles player that really stood out as a legitimate threat. What does this give us right now moving forward, do you think? Um, I think it just inspires, uh, you know, kids to, to pick up tennis and hopefully there will be you know more Biancas in the future. It is 
I'm a tennis fan first and foremost. In as much as I admire and respect what Serena has accomplished in her career, first and foremost, I was coming in rooting for Bianca. I've had the real luxury of seeing Bianca play a number of times in person since March, and have been so impressed with her talent, with her ability to come back from a deficit. I honestly thought today that would be the case. I thought Serena would fight back more. I don't know that Bianca saw the best that Serena could give. Having said that, I thought Bianca dealt with the pressure, the insurmountable pressure that, that I don't think we can appreciate here unbelievably well. Uh, having been to the US Open and seen what the crowds are like, when it's an American on court, the pressure for someone who's not the favorite is unbelievable. People are cheering double fault, double fault, double fault. How Bianca coped with that was laudable, was so impressive. And I think that all we can do is admire what she was able to pull off today. I think as much as she is so physically talented, as much as she's a true athlete, unbelievable tennis performer, she her mental game is what stood out today. And I, I'm just so impressed and so proud. Honestly, the experience of sitting here with all these Canadian fans cheering on Bianca through the win was amazing. Like, it's nothing that I can never experience ever again or even really you have to be here to experience it. It was amazing. There's no words really that can explain it. I'm so glad I came and saw this with all our, our family of Canadian tennis fans. Um, in terms of New York, like, I don't even know what was going on over there. Like, that must have been such a show for everybody in the crowd, whether you're cheering for Serena or Bianca. She kept her composure the whole time. She was amazing. She was a champion. Like She deserved to win. Every point she played was amazing. And even though she's up 5-1, all of a sudden it's 5-all in the second set, showed her true colors. Were you getting so, a little worried there? Oh, my God. I was so nervous. I sat here and I was like, oh, my God, 5-all. I was like, this is really happening. But I believed in her the whole time. Like, I believed in her every match she played the whole week. She's been fighting all week. And she's never disappointed. And I'm so proud of her. I'm so happy for her. Such a good time for Canadian tennis. Such a good time for her. I feel bad for Serena, but you know, this but not is that much. Changing of the guard, not that yeah. much. You're right. Like, now, for those who don't know, Ryan, you're the tournament director of the Tevlin Challenger here in Toronto, and we've seen Bianca play it several times before. Uh, pretty likely, we're not going to see her play that anytime soon again. But but how proud are you that that she's moving to other levels now in women's tennis? Yeah, I, w I wish she could play the Tevlin Challenger, but you know, she's. She's got. She's basically found her way and doesn't need to play it anymore. But how important is it? It's important. I mean, it's the end of the year. You want to get some valuable ranking points to the Australian Open. We've seen the past champions that have come through. It's a great event and a lot of great champions, a lot of great players play our tournament. Uh, some of them play it for five years in a row and then they then they break through. Or they break through after a year. So it's a really exciting time of the year to be involved in tennis and be involved in a major event like it is because you never know what's going to happen. So, I mean, we can see the next Bianca at yeah. the Tablet Challenger in a couple weeks. Come on out, you might, you might see the next Grand Slam yeah, champ. Totally. Exactly. Ryan, thanks for your time. So there you have it. Some of the uh, voices who were watching, you can still hear the buzz in the background as they were speaking with me about that incredible moment. Uh, I put a video up on my Twitter feed as well. It's still pinned on my Twitter page about just the reaction inside the restaurant. And it's so cool. It gives me chills in the moment. It was just so incredible to, to see it really happening. I just couldn't believe that it was 
is this real life like Bianca said? <laughs> yes, uh, indeed, it is real life. And uh, she's really captured the heart of a nation. And uh, we are thrilled to be able to discuss it on Matchpoint Canada. We thank our guests for this week, Sportsnet's Carolyn Cameron and former professional tennis player from Quebec, Alexandra Wozniak. Until next time, this is Matchpoint Canada. Start spreading the news I'm leaving today